Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to another episode of the Understanding Healthcare podcast. Today, I spoke with Dr. Andrew Kim, physician and recent White House fellow with interests across clinical medicine, peace, spirituality, as well as international development and global health. We talked about his path to medicine, experiences in government and healthcare, work on vaccine diplomacy, and how his diverse range of interests can serve to enrich our health and well-being. Andrew's unique background and perspective on the issues we face represent one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place, to elevate the traditional role of healthcare providers and tackle more upstream challenges. So, here's my conversation with Andrew Kim. Hey Sam, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I guess we can jump right in. You know, you spent much of your career in clinical medicine, but also that in addition to your work in government, academia, policy, uh, mm-hmm. among other fields. Can you give an overview of your path to healthcare and advocating for reforms that uh, advance health equity? Yes, certainly. So my path has been circuitous. Uh, it's uh, I think I think to kind of understand the reason for this for the itinerancy, you have to know my my history and my family history. Uh, so I, I'm the child of asylum seekers, uh, paternal side from present day North Korea, maternal side from present day South Korea. So already at a personal level, I think uh, peace building on the Korean Peninsula has been a part of my drive for for since I can remember, right? And so I actually started off in the humanitarian aid, international development, development economic space. That's what I did my grad school in, and ended up in Liberia during the 2014 Ebola outbreak. Just by chance, I, I was uh, working on a project with the Clinton Health Access Initiative and the Liberian Ministry of Health on broader health workforce development. Landed in Liberia and then ended up uh, <laughs> ended up probably leaving the country when there were when there were a couple hundred a hundred or so cases. And I remember being in the ministry. Um, the president at the time, uh, President Sirleaf Johnson, ended up coming in and saying you know, let's contain public panic. No Ebola outbreak has gone over a few hundred cases in the past. Little did we know we were about to embark on the the largest Ebola outbreak of history. And so that that helped me pivot into medicine. And so I ended up at, at Harvard for med school, uh, went to UCSF to the SFPC program at the San Francisco General Hospital, which is a Highly recommended to all all you medical trainees listening. Uh, just a really really mission driven program, and then ended up in the White House Fellowship at OMB. Yeah, and that sort of leads me perfectly into the next question, which is you know you you served as a White House Fellow at the Office of Management Budget OMB. Can you talk about that experience and how it maybe gave a different perspective relative to your your previous work in public health and in peace building, uh, you know, across different countries and in, in medicine more broadly? And I guess moreover, you know, reflecting on the responsibilities you had uh, during the fellowship. Uh, how did how has that experience played a role in your career and future plans? Yeah, certainly. I guess three major takeaways from my year as a White House fellow. From OMB, I think the two major takeaways is, one, how to operate in very large, complex systems. <laughs> so for those, I mean, especially doctors, I didn't, I barely knew what OMB was before I came in, and I wasn't expecting to be placed there. A lot of the doctor White House fellows end up at places like HHS or the VA, where there's a little bit more of a congruency with background. I thought I was going to end up at USAID, but ended up at OMB. And it ended up being an incredible learning experience because it's the engine of federal government. It gets stuff done, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it really taught me how does a leader, a director of OMB or the deputy director of management 
coordinate across all federal agencies, across three plus million uh, health, uh, million federal workforce, domestic and abroad, um, billions and billions of dollar budgets, and how do they actually operate? And so it taught me leadership in that level. Uh, and then the other part was uh, I got to work on the menthol cigarette ban through with OIRA, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. And, you know, be, being able to sit in on that uh, interagency and, mul mul you know, multi-stakeholder engagement process mm -hmm. just taught me a lot about how to, you know, how to do that at this broad level, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously in, in, both, in the, both the diplomatic world and in the public health world, uh, those those are very transferable skills, and then I think the may the the big big takeaway from the fellowship was, gosh, uh, being able to meet eighteen other incredible fellows who are just so inspiring people from all different fields, and then having our speaker series and our policy trips, being able mm -hmm. to meet leaders across all industries, and just distilling down what is it that I respect from each of these individuals. And I think at the end of the day, it's it's about moral leadership, right? And so that those lessons were the big things that I distilled down. So. Absolutely. It's such an important skill, like you said, moral leadership. Um, you know, one of the, the takeaways from the COVID-19 pandemic over the past, you know, uh, two years is, is vaccine diplomacy, part of the, you know, broader discipline, like we've been talking about, of diplomacy, health diplomacy, and making decisions that promote equity uh, in where vaccines are targeted so that ultimately this disease doesn't run rampant around the world. And so you've studied this extensively, and I wondered what the pandemic has inspired or motivated in that regard from your perspective, and, and what can we learn from the experiences with COVID over the past couple of years uh, here in the U.S., but also indeed abroad, to improve, you know, when another virus comes around? Yes. Well, I think... COVID is a perfect example because we did some things well and we did we could have improved on other things, right? And so when we talk about global health diplomacy, it's a broad field, right? Mm -hmm. Medical diplomacy was a term first, I think, coined maybe in the 70s, 1978. Uh, uh, and that's expanded into this broader term of global health diplomacy, right? Where one, one aspect of global health diplomacy is how do we coordinate, uh, use diplomatic relationships to coordinate towards the mutual means of health, right? And I think we did pretty well on that uh, in one aspect, which is with the COVID active accelerator. Mm -hmm. A lot of, uh, you know, international co collaborations with research um, in order to, you know, produce vaccines at an unprecedented rate, effective vaccines at that, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, I think, one success story of global health diplomacy in COVID. That said, the subsequent <laughs> vaccine diplomacy, I think, was really hampered by this kind of prisoner's dilemma that mm -hmm. countries face, which is when, at, when we have scarce resources, uh, such as an mRNA vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, often the incentive is for each country just to hold on to stockpiles, Right. And we saw that. And ultimately what it did was we got stuck in this prisoner jet dilemma. We had Delta and Omicron rise up in low middle income nations who didn't have as much access to vaccines and ended up becoming something that uh, was detrimental to the entire world. The, you know, the virus knows no borders, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't respect mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, um, our country's borders. And so I think it was a real lesson in how do we move from this traditional notion of human-human of in, institutions driven by nationalism or capitalism towards an enlightened self-interest, right? Where mm -hmm. I'm not saying we, you know, we we become all kumbaya and just like mm -hmm. 
you know, give everything away, but there is an enlightened self-interest where by helping others, we help ourselves. Right. And I think that's one big lesson and takeaway that we have from this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, you know, throughout this entire conversation, I think two of the values I've noticed mean a lot to you. And obviously throughout your prior work have been, you know, service to others and, and spirituality. I wondered what do they mean to you and how they enhanced your experiences across all of these different fields that we've been discussing? Mm. Mm. Thanks for asking that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think this is probably the most important thing, right? Is uh, I got burnt out <laughs> during medical training. Uh, I went through a few different hard hardships, uh, lost a couple of good friends during medical school, and then lost another good friend during residency. That on top of stuff going on with family back home and having to support that on top of working 80 to 100 hour work weeks mm -hmm. and then COVID hitting yeah. and then continuing to work those work weeks, right? Yeah. And, you know, in, in the, you know, one of our, um, one, one, one of my uh, big role models, uh, he's passed now, but his, you know, there's a guy named Henry Nowen who wrote that uh, mysticism and revolution are two aspects of the same attempt to bring about radical social change, right? Mm -hmm. And that um, in looking inward, right, we see the roots, I'm paraphrasing, but looking okay. inward, right, we see the roots of societal evil and societal uh, wrongdoing and injustices within each of us. And so there's the inner work that we have to do. And then within our outer work as activists, right, we recognize that, um, that so many, so many of the injustices that are perpetuated in this world are just products of people reacting to their own human condition in unhealthy ways, right? So, really, it's uh, it's how how do we how do we have an activism that is driven by an inner mission, whatever that is? You know, it can be driven by a religious conviction, it can be driven by a personal conviction, a moral conviction, mm -hmm. but whatever it is, allowing that to drive us, I think that's really the way that we have a sustainable career of activism over 10, 20, 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we we become uh, social justice warriors that burn out after five years, right? right. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of these problems take decades, if not generations to solve. Right. I mean, every issue we were discussing today is it's not sort of a short-term fix. And so that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one, you touched on this in, in the first, earlier in the discussion, um, you know, one particular interest of yours is the intersection between peace building and health. And, and obviously a lot of that stems from your background, but it's such an important issue that I don't think is talked about enough um, in many debates. And, and so I wondered, you know, how did this interest come about? You touched on it in the beginning, but how did it come about? And, and what trends do you see moving forward in this sort of intersection of, of two different areas? Yes. So health peace initiatives or health as a bridge to peace, these are different terms for this. Uh, it actually has a pretty long history, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so actually the WHO used to have a whole division on health as a bridge to peace, which is now defunct. Mm -hmm. uh, it was revived again as health peace initiatives. I'm not sure where the status of that is now. But if we look back at um, you know the legacy of Albert Schweitzer, who won the Nobel, you know, Nobel Peace Prize, he was a physician. Um, we look at ICANN and uh, the international, you know, the, phys the IPPNW, the, the physicians who uh, work to abolish nuclear warfare. Uh, there's a long history of physicians work realizing, actually, so there's so many intersections when we define public health in a broader way with peace building, right? And uh, more recently, I think we found 
the directionality in a different different way, right? Which is we look at the second Salvadorian civil war or at the Sudanese Guinea worm ceasefire. Uh, and we see actually the mutual goal of health, right? was used as a diplomatic tool in these conflicts. So in the Salvadorian civil war, the first ceasefire uh, was done on the inter international day of vaccine uh, vaccination where both sides decided, hey, let's drop our weapons for a day. Yeah. Let's go immunize our kids. And if you Google the pictures, it's quite amazing. You see these guerrilla warfare off, you know, uh, folks with uh, AK-47s on their back vaccinating little kids, right? And uh, and then ceasefires continued after that. And then the Sudanese Guinea, Guinea Warm ceasefire, which was uh, negotiated by President Jimmy Carter, was up until Afghanistan, the longest humanitarian ceasefire uh, in history, in modern history. And so... Um, I'm hoping that we we start to see more of that, where we recognize through a universal goal such as health, right, our shared humanity, and then thus uh, leading towards hopefully um, the de-escalation of conflict and greater diplomatic relations. Yeah, yeah, um, and it was it's a, it's so insightful, and I think it's a it's a it's a topic and an, an intersection that isn't discussed enough, like you said, but it's it's so important, and there are so many things that that can be solved long-term if we look at like those examples, like you noted. Um, going sort of more a broad scale, how is your background in you know clinical medicine? How has that influenced the work that you've done in the policy space over the past uh, many years? Are there certain skills from medical education and medical training, like you've noted, uh, that you found to be important in this global health and public sector work and vice versa in international development in medicine? Mm. That's, such, that's such an insightful question, Sam. Uh, <laughs> Nothing is unrelated. Everything is interconnected, right? And so one, one thing I like to say, so within clinical medicine, my interest is with the, within palliative care and spiritual care at the end of life. And the common thread there is all of it is peace building, right? Peace building on the intrapersonal, interpersonal level at the end of life. I can't tell you the number of goals of care conversations or, uh, you know, estranged family members coming back together when, you know, the father has a terminal diagnosis or the mother has a terminal diagnosis and some of the mediation and, and negotiation skills that we use in facilitating those conversations as healers and doctors, right? It's very similar <laughs> to some of the international, infranational peace building work that is done at a broader level, right? And then the other analog, I think, is within how how do we how do we take individuals in a team, synchronize you know synchronized synchronize their work, delegate the work appropriately, uh, and allow it to uh, allow the team to operate almost at this symphonic level, mm -hmm. right? Uh, symphonic, integrated, coordinated level to achieve a mutual means, right? And I think that's whether you are running a code in, in the hospital, uh, in the ICU, or whether you are you know, working on a really complex interagency pro project and to address a uh, complex issue. Right. I think both of those have very uh, very analogous themes and skill sets. So yeah. I learned, you know, bi-directional learning. Absolutely. And, and, and one last question I had to sort of top it all off is, you know, for young people interested in, in healthcare and, and public service and this intersection, we, intersection that we've been discussing this entire conversation, what advice would you give based on your career, everything we've discussed today and, and future trends you see moving forward in healthcare? Mm, yeah. 
I mean, you're you're a great example, Sam, because you have such diverse interests, right? Um, I I would borrow a term from ecology, which is edge effects, right? Where the greatest chain ecological change often comes about at the border or the boundary of two or more ecosystems, right? So for me, the ecosystems that I want to bring together are peace building, national security, global health, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on a personal level, the, the spirituality and the moral leadership, right? And how do we harvest uh, some of the best aspects of each of these in order to enhance uh, and in a super summative way mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the impacts that we can have on this world. So likewise, you know, I, I often run in, run across pre-meds and uh, med students who love something else that they don't think fits into their clinical medicine role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So often this happens with folks who are musicians or poets right. or uh, economists or something, you know, or something com- that seems completely incongruous. But actually, when we start to try to bring together all of our passions, uh, I, I think there are some incredible fields that can be blossomed as a result of that incredible process uh, projects that can be uh, brought about as as a result of that so I, I would say don't don't put your passions on the shelf take them off the shelf and bring them in with you carry them with you into clinical medicine and see how you, how it relates you're you're so right Andrew and a lot of those different interests you know give you a new lens and a new perspective on that work that you're already doing in, in healthcare and so you're absolutely right I, I I totally agree with that answer and 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 push it along as far as I can every day. Well, there's one more one more one more thing that I yep. would pass on to to uh, trainees, if that's all right. Which is uh, which is something that a mentor and friend of mine, uh, Altaf uh, Altaf Saadi over at uh, MGH, just told me. Which is um, so during the during the White House Fellowship and so much during my my training, uh, I had the thought, wow, I'm I'm living this li- like I'm living this life. That is beyond my ancestors' wildest imaginations, mm. right? And it just felt such a depth of gratitude. Uh, there was a day when I brought my grandmother, who sought asylum to this country, and I, this year I brought her into the White House in in, in, in May for a tour. Mm. And the moment she walked in, she started weeping, yeah. and she's like, "Wow, this I could, I could never have imagined in my wildest dreams that this could that this could be right." Mm. And I I do think that uh, so, so. What my mentor told me is to try to flip that script, right? On one hand, we have to hold on to that gratitude of what our ancestors gave to us, right? And to flip that script is, what can we do now with our careers to be good ancestors Mm. for our future generations, right? Whether we decide literally to have children or not, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that perspective brings about this perspective of change that is beyond our own lifetime, right? It's like that proverb, Society grows great when people when when old people uh, plant trees under mm. whose shade they shall never sit, right? Mm. And uh, so that's, I, I guess that 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 shift that flip of the script uh, was really impactful to me recently. And so I want to just pass that on to people. Thank you so much, you know, for making time today. It really means a lot, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope my conversation with Andrew helped to highlight the role that medical professionals can play in public policy and indeed a wide array of other fields to expand the impact on health and well-being across populations. I hope it inspires many of you to pursue all of your interests through the lens of service and moral leadership as Andrew discussed, which are so crucial in this time. So, I hope you're doing well and staying safe, and remember, we can't just consume healthcare. 
we have to understand healthcare.